When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune, back with a new guest on my channel today, Peter Hug from Kitco. Peter is the Global Director of Trading over at Kitco. Uh, Peter, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Matt. Nice to be here. You know, I'm really looking forward to a great conversation about the precious metals markets and, and so much else that is going on in the uh, markets and the economy as a whole. We have uh, the Fed kind of stuck in a, in a tough place right now. We have the market looking very uneasy uh, over these past couple months, honestly, for most of 2018. Um, so I want to get to all that. Before we get started, though, I, I think you might be new to a lot of my viewers. So... Could you give them just a, kind of a quick, uh, I guess, introduction, a quick orientation as to who you are and, and kind of what you do and a bit of you know your history in the precious metal space? Okay, uh, I'm probably what most people would refer to as one of the, uh, the few remaining dinosaurs in the precious metal space. I, I got uh, into the business uh, sort of uh, through the back door when I uh, graduated university in 1973. I started in the foreign exchange field. I worked for at that at that time the largest uh, retail foreign exchange dealer in the world, a company called Deke Pereira. So if we have any of your audience that are in their uh, uh, you know late 50s uh, <laughs> and, and 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 older, they would uh, they may have known that name. Uh, they, we had operations in some 50 countries back in the uh, 70s. I was responsible for running the Canadian uh, uh, foreign exchange trading desk for Deke. Um, subsequent to that, they were sold to Thomas Cook and. Uh, and uh, you know, and now we've got a myriad of foreign exchange dealers that are that are on the scene. But in '76, I left Deke and I joined uh, a bank in Canada called Guardian Trust uh, that had a uh, physical presence. Uh, their head office was in Montreal, Quebec. They were worried about the Quebec separatist movement at the time. Opened up an office in Toronto and uh, hired me to run their foreign exchange desk. Uh, and then uh, by 77, 78, we introduced precious metals as a product line for the bank. Uh, we were fortunate, uh, the timing was fortunate because we just got into the metals business in, in, a, in a relatively big way just before the spike in 79.80 when gold ran to 8.50 and silver ran up to $50 for the first time. And uh, I traded with the bank until 92 uh, when they were sold to uh, uh, another French bank um, and uh, then uh, started my own consulting company and I started trading for a variety of companies uh, that uh, uh, spanned, uh, uh, spanned uh, globally. I, I was trading for companies in Switzerland, New Zealand, uh, the Bahamas. Uh, and I did that until uh, I was approached by Kitco in uh, 2010. I was already retired at the time, and Kitco had grown from uh, a staff of seven to 220, and uh, the owner of the company had actually been a client of mine at the bank and asked me if I would run his precious metals division. So my responsibility for Kitco is, is uh, running the risk management for their North American trading operation as well as line responsibility for our operation in Hong Kong. So I'm I'm the one that makes the decisions as to uh, uh, 
the risk profile on, on how we make markets to our clients, uh, controlling inventory and uh, basically buying and selling a variety of precious metals, uh, obviously gold, silver. Uh, we also carry the PGMs, platinum and palladium, and we're also fairly one of the most active dealers in the rhodium market. So that's a brief history. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, you know, so so one question that I'm going to ask just about everybody that comes on my channel uh, right now, uh, just because of, of how prices have been really this thus far in 2018 is, you know, where do you see them heading into 2019? I guess a, a good uh, starting point here would be just... Are we at a bottom or are we in a kind of a long term bottoming here? You know, the, the low 14s, high $13 or, you know, do you see uh, some more dollar strength, you know, headed into 2019? Kind of give us some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, we uh, we've been bearish the metals markets, uh, you know, with with bouts uh, of bullishness. I, I mean, when I look at the metals markets, I look at it from the perspective of a trader, not a long term investor. And. So the psychology is slightly different on, on, on how we sort of forecast markets. But uh, once the Fed uh, back in uh, 2016 uh, made it clear to the market that they were going to normalize rates, um, we were, uh, from an overall trend perspective, bearish the market. We uh, turned bullish uh, a number of times between then and now. Um, when we saw certain lows hit back in uh, 2016, uh, you had gold hit 1,060. Uh, we thought that that was a good entry point. Uh, gold rallied up almost to $1,400 uh, in 2018. Um, 20, uh, at the beginning of the year, we had gold at 1350, and it couldn't get through a certain resistance level. We suggested selling it, and, and gold uh, traded all the way back down to 1150 uh, in the summer. Now this summer. Uh, we were one of the, and I think we were probably the only firm that came out and, and uh, were not persuaded that the Fed would be as aggressive in 2019 as most analysts had predicted. Back in August, there was a prediction that the Fed would raise interest rates at least six times uh, between summer of this year and end of 2019. Uh, we suggested at best there might be two raises on the on the board, and the Fed would probably back away in 2019 um, from uh, their aggressive uh, interest rate uh, uh, increase uh, projections, and that's come true. So we 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 suggested uh, back in August that we think uh, we thought we had put in the bottom for 2018 at the 1160 level, and silver was trading at about. 1420. Now, silver hasn't performed uh, as well as we had expected, but uh, but gold is certainly up uh, almost $100 uh, from that uh, summer call. Now, looking forward, uh, we, I'm a little concerned now that almost every analyst you speak to believes the Fed is not going to move in 2019, and some are even taking the December uh, increase uh, uh, rate increase that, that is expected next week off the table. We think the Fed does go in December. I think um, from, a, uh, from a, a view perspective, if the Fed does not raise in December, I think it's going to send the wrong signal to the market that they're worried. So I think the Fed goes a quarter point next week. Uh, but then we think they're going to be on hold possibly for at least six months in 2019. Now, in that context, we think uh, if the Europeans follow through on what their mandate is for 2019, where they are going to start normalizing rates, we think that'll be negative for the dollar and price positive for the metals. So 
So at least for the first six months of 2019, we are bullish uh, both gold and silver, more so silver, uh, because we think it, from a percentage basis, has more room to run than gold from these current levels. Sure. And that was kind of going to be my next question, you know, from both a trading perspective as well as somebody that's uh, uh, buying for the long term physical precious metals. Um, give, give us a little bit of your take on, on gold versus silver and maybe a normal environment, uh, maybe a norm, more normalized uh, ratio, gold to silver ratio uh, versus where we're at right now, which is, you know, last time I checked around like 85 to one. Yeah, I th every time uh, silver sort of gotten to 85 to one and it's been there a number of times over the past two or three years, uh, we've suggested uh, again, it depends who we're speaking to. If, if we're talking to a trader that that uh, that has the ability of executing this trade, um, we were suggesting a uh, a long silver short gold uh, a, a trade, uh, and it's worked out most of the time. Um, this last time silver now has been at 85 to one. It's been here for a while now. It's been here for almost three months. Uh, and I think that's got to do with some of the concerns with China and the global slowing in the economies, uh, because silver does have uh, an edge to it uh, that is not as relevant to gold. Uh, it, it moves with gold, uh, but it's also an industrial metal. So if we have a slowdown in the global economy, there's less demand for, for silver from an industrial perspective. And I think that's what suppressed the, uh, the silver price and, and created a situation where it, it, it just hasn't bounced to the same uh, rate, uh, to the same percentage that it normally does when gold moves higher, uh, but we think that changes. Uh, we think the uh, the supply side of silver in 2019 uh, is bullish uh, relative demand, and uh, we think silver, if gold can get up to where we think it's going to go in uh, by January, February, and that number is somewhere north of 1,300, we think silver has a chance of getting up to 17, 18 dollars. So on a percentage basis, at these levels, uh, we like silver over gold. Well, let's talk about physical here then. Physical uh, supply and demand that, that you kind of brought up there. You know, we, we've had some recent reports going into the end of the year here, uh, most notably from the Silver Institute talking about a projected surplus, physical surplus in the silver market. Um, I think they came up with something like 30 million ounces. Not a huge surplus by any means, but a significant increase in uh in mining uh, supply coming onto the market. Um, what's kind of your outlook for 2019 for both demand, uh, industrial and, and investment, as well as uh, what is the mining sector gonna look like? Yeah, I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't, see, I don't see an increase in mining supply coming into the market at these levels. Uh, there's uh, actually quite a few mines that at, the, at current levels at $14 are, are having trouble making money. Um, what has held back the silver market, which is very unusual, and it also had an impact on the gold market, is that retail generally, when they buy physical precious metals, they tend to hold, and they tend to hold unless they run into an issue where they need capital. Uh, they don't tend to be traders uh, buying and selling because it's the most inefficient way to buy precious metals uh, through the physical market because of the spreads that you have to pay for the, uh, for the actual units. Uh, but what we've noticed over the past couple of years is every time there's been any type of rally in the market, um, and I think that had to do with uh, you know things like Bitcoin, uh, you know, running up to 19,000, and the equity markets, uh, uh, you know, being on a tear for the past three years, is people have been selling their physical uh, metals uh, into the market to generate cash, and then redeploying the cash into other investment vehicles. 
Uh, and that's very unusual, especially on the silver side, because at 1450 silver, uh, there's not a lot of people that are holding silver at, uh, at 1450 at a profit. Uh, a lot of them got in uh, between 2008 2011 when prices were substantially higher. Those types of investors in the past have tended to hold on to that position, waiting for the recovery uh, to at least get out at a break-even or, or to run the next trend. But in this last trend over the last two or three years, we've seen a lot of physical product coming back into the market. Investors just liquidating physical coins and bars, both in gold and silver, which has added to the supply in the market. But I don't think the supply or the surplus is coming from, from, uh, from the mining industry. I don't think they're pumping out silver at these prices. Okay, so you know it's a bit of a different perspective from trading versus um, from retail buyers that are buying physical because you know with traders you have lots of ups and downs. I guess uh, their, their perspective is constantly shifting when it comes to uh, gold and, and and silver. But from a retail perspective, you know you're, you're talking about this unusual selling, which which I agree it it, it was really unusual. The, the I guess unusual for the last 10 years in terms of, of physical demand and, and not only a decrease in, in uh, coins and bars being sold, but also, as you said, you know, selling onto the market at uh, what would appear to be a, a loss, if, if not a, um, you know, either a loss or, or at least breaking even in the $14 range. So, you know, some people have talked about this kind of being a bit of a, uh, you know, blood on the streets type of moment for, for precious metals that not only is the price low, but you're seeing uh, kind of a, a, an exodus of, of just kind of the, the bread and butter buyers of, of, of physical silver and gold over the last year or two. Uh, what's your perspective on that? Does it, can this trend continue? Are we going to see more people leave the space or are we kind of closer to a, a pivot point? Well, I, I think it really depends on on what the wh where they can see uh, a better deployment of their capital. And again, over the past three or four years, uh, being in the equity market, uh, you know, it's been a little, uh, been a little crazy over the past month. But uh, in, the, you know, if, if you look from a longer-term perspective, over the last five years, uh, the, the equity markets have have proven to be an excellent investment. And you know, there's been a lot of people. Uh, you know, again, retail tends to psychologically they got burnt in 2008 uh, through 2011. And they tend to stay away from the space, and then they've watched the market march up, uh, you know, almost uh, 200 percent from the lows, and uh, well, more than 200 percent on the Dow if you if you take the uh, 6,666 low, uh, and they're, they've missed that run, and uh, they're going, my God, you know, uh, I've been out of the market. So then they look at the metals, and the metals have been sort of flat, you know, there's been little uh, spikes every once in a while, but overall the trend's been down. So it's, it's more just fatigue. It's just, I'm tired of this uh, and getting out and redeploying their, or wanting to redeploy their capital on, on, on an asset that, that is going to yield them a return. Now, I think that has changed. I mean, you know, Bitcoin had something to do with that. I mean, Bitcoin at the beginning of the year was, uh, you know, at 19,000. It's now trading south of Five, at least five, I haven't checked it today, but in the low fours. Uh, so that's been destroyed. And the equity markets right now are really, uh, the gyrations in the equity markets and the volatility, I think, are really making people nervous. So I, I think now people are starting to realize that, you know, it might not be a bad idea to hold on to my metals. That, uh, you know, maybe they're not uh, re-engaging yet, 
but there's certainly uh, the selling on the physical side has dramatically dropped since we've seen this uh, volatility uh, in the equity space. All right. So, you know, I, I can tell you <laughs> right from the beginning here, you know, most of my viewers, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, they consider themselves, you know, stackers. You may be familiar with the term uh, buying silver and gold, physical silver and gold, uh, usually keeping in their own, you know, physical possession, not generally using things like um, um, uh, custodian accounts or anything like that. Uh, yep. So they're not really a fan of, of things like SLV, GLV. And then that's a broad generalization. I'm sure some people trade it. Some people uh, do buy it. Uh, they prefer physical. So what, what type of, uh, I guess, recommendations uh, do you recommend you, to a lot of your you know, clients when it comes to um, silver and gold uh, from, a, from a liquidity perspective as well as kind of a long-term uh, value perspective beyond just the, the uh, physical price of the metals? Okay. Uh, so I'm going to say this in a broad context, and, and uh, you know, I don't want to be, uh, uh, I, I don't want this to sound disparaging at all, but um, I'm now a, an American resident, so I, I'm not doing this uh, by, uh, uh, and, and sort of waving the Canadian flag uh, <laughs> to indicate uh, that, you know, products out of Canada may be a better, uh, a, you know, a better option than some of the products that are, uh, that are made by the U.S. Mint. And I say that uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, when, you know, whether I'm buying physical or whether I'm you know, trading on the market, my, my goal uh, is to look for two things. One is to look for liquidity, but also to look for the best possible entry point and price on the product that I buy, you know, whether that's an equity, a bond, or whether I buy precious metals. Um, I'm also then looking at the psychology of why I'm buying something and, and what I possibly might need it for. So let's assume you're buying physical gold because you think uh, the financial system is going to run into trouble and you may even go beyond that thought and think that I need something liquid and portable in case, God, God forbid, but in case I need to leave the U.S. and I want to migrate to another country. So let's assume you have that mindset. Now you look at the gold eagle, and I'm just going to give you some price comparisons. The U.S. Mint now is the only mint in the world that sells uh, their gold coins at a percentage fixed premium. They sell it to their wholesale dealers, and nobody gets a break here. Nobody, if you come in with 20,000 coins or, fi or 500 coins, you pay the same thing if you are a dealer that has access to the U.S. Mint you pay 3%. And that 3% is delivered San Francisco. So if your hub is New York where you do your distribution, you've also got additional logistics costs to move the coins from San Francisco to New York. But let's ignore those incidental costs and just go with the 3% acquisition cost. So right now at 1245 gold, you're going to acquire as Kitco or any of the other large dealers that have access to the mint will acquire these coins at about $38. Now at $38, the bigger dealers then sell it to smaller dealers, which a lot of these clients that you're referring to deal with, they deal with their local coin dealers uh, because they like to go in in person, usually pay in cash, uh, they don't want records, so they don't have access to the bigger dealers that don't accept cash, they go to their local places. So you get a big dealer that pays $38 for the coins. He sells it to an intermediate dealer, maybe at a $7 uh, 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 spread. 
So now that intermediate dealer's got it at $45, and now they've got to make money. They'll add anywhere from 10 to 20 to the coin. So you're paying $55 to $65 over the price of gold for an American Eagle. Now, you take that American Eagle, and let's assume you need to leave the United States. If you go to Canada with an American Eagle, dealers pay a discount for American Eagles in Canada because they are not a 4.9 gold coin. They are 22 carats, same as the Krugerrand. And because of that, dealers don't inventory these coins in Canada because when they sell them, they have to charge sales tax. So there's not a big liquidity market in Canada for eagles. If you look at the Chinese, I can't, ha I can't give eagles away in Hong Kong because, again, the Chinese want 4.9 gold coins. In that context, the U.S. Mint, realizing that they came out with a 22 carat, introduced the gold buffalo but it also sells at a 3% premium. So you're also paying roughly $55 to $65 a coin. Now compare that to the Royal Canadian Mint one ounce gold maple leaf. It is a four nines gold coin. It trades at dealer acquisition cost at roughly $20. So you can get this coin retail somewhere between $35 and $40. So you're gonna save yourself right away $20 to $30 just on entry point. But now you have a coin that's not only liquid in the U.S., but also liquid in, in Canada uh, because it's not taxable, because it's a 24-carat coin, and it is, one, it, is, it is the most popular coin in the Far East and in Europe as far as gold coins go. So if you're looking for international liquidity, the Maple Leaf is the best coin in the market currently. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you will, uh, uh, I guess, ruffle some feathers in saying that because I know I do have a lot of, uh, but, but I would agree, you know, um, the, the U.S. Mint, um, I never, I guess, completely understood why they've stuck with the, with the uh, 22 carat uh, gold eagle, the, though they do have the buffalo. Uh, but, you know, even, even the American silver eagle, it's, um, when it comes to silver, I would consider that one of the more liquid, maybe you can give your thoughts on that as well, one of the more liquid um, coins out there. But, you know, one of the things that people always kind of complain about is it's stale it's you know at least with with the uh, uh maple leaf or south of the border the libertad or some other international coin um you can maybe accrue a larger premium over time uh, a little bit more numismatic value whereas uh silver eagles um just not so much in that realm uh, do you have any thoughts on silver or anything you i guess recommend well, to? The, uh, silver eagles i have no issue with whatsoever i mean they're three nine silvers mm -hmm. uh, uh I mean, they fall into the same category as most sovereign silver coins. I was being more specific on, on, on the absolutely. gold eagle. Uh, yeah. Uh, but on, on the silver eagle, absolutely no issue. Uh, but again, just to, get, just to give you a perspective uh, of cost, uh, acquisition cost of the silver eagle from the U.S. Mint by dealers is $2 over spot. It, nobody gets a better break. You pay $2. Uh, and the silver maple leaf, uh, dealer acquisition cost is a dollar forty. So again, uh, maples and eagles, in my opinion, have the same liquidity in the U.S. market. In fact, in the North American market. Uh, so, as a person acquiring the product, if you're buying it uh, uh, because you want to be invested in silver in the physical format, why I would pay an extra five percent over the market? for the exact same amount of silver makes no sense to me. Uh, you can also buy bars much cheaper than coins. I mean, you can buy a 10-ounce, uh, for example, a 10-ounce RCM silver bar, but there's a, uh, you know, other manufacturers of silver bars, but a 10-ounce sovereign silver bar 
for a premium of somewhere south of a dollar. So, like, why do you want to pay $3, like $2 over? I mean, that's almost a 20% premium you're paying for the same amount of silver. So those are the kind of things that I would think about uh, if I were acquiring silver from, from that perspective to as a protection on my portfolio. And I wanted to get into the physical market because I didn't trust the... Um, um, uh, you know, I didn't trust the ETF market or trust a, a dealer storage program. I wanted it in my possession. So again, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy the Eagle. I'm just giving <laughs> I'm giving you some food for thought as to, uh, for consideration to, uh, on some alternatives out there that might meet your same uh, criteria, but be uh, uh, save you some money and therefore allow you to purchase a larger quantity. Uh, you know, instead of buying whatever, 20 coins, you're now able to buy 30 coins. Uh, you know, you're getting a 50% bump in, in, in your holding um, at the same price. So it's just something to consider. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think they'll understand where you're coming from. You know, another thing to add when it comes to silver is that with uh, Canadian uh, uh, mint as well as, as I think as some other um, international mints, I think maybe some of the Perth mint products, um, People care about it. Some people don't care about it, but a lot of their products are 4.9 silver versus uh, 3.9 silver, which is Correct. U.S. Mint, as well as a lot of other uh, just plain bars and coins that you can buy. You know, kind of looping back to that discussion about SLV and GLD and, and you know, my viewers not being a huge fan of it. You know, the, the, the when they do delve into the, I guess, um, uh, stock space or whatever you want to call it, I guess, SLVs, GLD, not stocks. But but one thing that many of them are a fan of, or at least you know haven't sworn off <laughs> buying in the first place, are, are mining stocks. So I guess uh, could you give you know kind of your your perspective on maybe some mining stocks that that you like right now, as well as um, how do you think these mines will perform going forward? I mean, obviously we, we already talked about right now just just low low prices. I mean, I know some. Um, some uh, outfits like uh, First Majestic, you know, that's a that's a big one here in this uh, community because Keith Neumeyer has been such a big advocate of, of precious metals. You know, that's an example of a mine that's it's all in cost when you take into account all of its costs. You know, I think it's around the price of production, maybe even above right now. Um, so, so is there kind of a light at the end of the tunnel for certainly some of these other mines are doing better, but is there a light at the end of the tunnel for these mines and and do you think you know how do you think they're going to perform relative to i guess the baseline of of just silver and gold prices going forward yeah i i think in the mining sector um uh, you know you just can't paint a broad stroke there i mean this is really uh you've got to look at the individual companies you've got to look at their cost of production You've got to look at their cash on hand. Uh, you want to hope they don't have to come back to market at these levels and try to uh, raise capital and uh, dilute their share base. Um, uh, you have to look at management. I mean, the mining sector has been notoriously, you know, I don't want to use the word corrupt, but uh, notoriously inefficient, uh, notoriously inefficient uh, for the past, 30 years. I mean, there. Uh, some of the management of these mines has been uh, just just horrendous. Uh, uh, you know, basically just raising capital, paying themselves salaries, and never even digging a hole. So I, I'm I'm very very reluctant to to get uh, persuaded into buying juniors uh, unless I know the management and and they have a track record. Uh, I tend to. Uh, 
when I look at mining shares, I tend to look at the majors. I tend to look at, again, uh, cash on hand. I don't want any any uh, investment where they're imminently ha- going to go have to go to market to uh, to raise capital. Uh, so that that's one of my criteria. I'm much more in in tune with buying the streaming companies uh, like Wheaton, um, Franco Nevada, uh, where they have interests in a huge swath of companies where they where they get a royalty on everything that comes out of the ground and they don't have production costs themselves. Um, so I, I lean more towards that space than individual companies. Now I'm not suggesting individual companies aren't aren't good places to be. Uh, but if you can find that company that has good management, good cash reserves, and production at below, uh, I'd be looking for gold production under a thousand and silver production under eleven. Uh, at those levels, uh, I think when this market does go higher, and I do believe it will in 2019, those specific companies I think will will do well and probably outperform on a percentage basis the movement in, in the actual precious metal space. But I think investors have become much, much more savvy than they have in the past where they just basically buy, you know, they go to a conference and some guy gets up and says, I've got this gold mine that's sort of sitting on the same fringe that Franco Nevada is sitting on. Um, we think it's got this much in reserves. Uh, and they haven't even they haven't even put a shovel in the ground yet, and, and they're pumping their stock. I think investors are much more savvy today, and, and they're much more reluctant to chase those types of dreams. They'd rather see, uh, uh, you know, they'd rather say, you know, it's almost like show me the money. Show me the gold coming out of the ground. Show me your production uh, before they get involved in that. And I think that's sort of had an impact on the mining sector as a whole. There's certainly a much bigger level of distrust today than there was five years ago. Sure. You know, a, a good rule of thumb that, that I use sometimes is, you know, if you do go around enough on the Internet, especially, you know, in this space, inevitably you'll, you'll get advertisements for these various outfits that um, that are would probably be classified as, as, as junior stocks. And they're um, stay away from those because because the, the good the good um, long term buys are probably the ones that don't need to advertise their 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 track record, their financials. Um, their their stock ticker will probably be on on a on a actual uh, New York Stock Exchange and not on some other exchange. You know, those are the ones um, they kind of speak for themselves and, and they don't need that advertisement. But uh, well, Peter, did you have anything else that you wanted to leave my viewers with today? Um, no, I mean, I, based on what you told me, Matt, it sounds like your viewers are are educated and they understand the market well. Uh, um, you know, I think we're in for some very uh, volatile markets over the next six months. I mean, with the uh, first of all, with the Democrats coming in in, in, in January, um, we're going to have a government. Uh, I mean, if you base it on the on the meeting that uh, that Trump and uh, Pelosi had yesterday in 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 the uh, in the White House, uh, it looks like it's going to be very contentious uh, going into 20, uh, 2019. Uh, there are still some serious issues uh, in Europe with Brexit. Uh, that is a mess. For England, um, and there are some serious issues with the Italian financial system uh, that is are yet to be resolved. Uh, I think the Fed, because of that, is is going to have to take their foot off the pedal here, and uh, uh, I think that should be positive for the commodities generally. 
but but there's going to be a lot of volatility uh, uh, in the stock market as well. And I think in that context, I think precious metals uh, should at least form a portion of your portfolio. And, and just the one comment I want to make there, uh, having been in the business since the 70s um, and, and having run into a number of, uh, call them talking heads, myself included, uh, that have... Uh, you know, sort of the uh, the mantra, you know, hold 10% of your portfolio in gold. You know, whether that's a right number or, you know, or excessive or uh, or underweight is up for debate. But, you know, what these what these guys never tell the investors is, you know, gold is not the end-all, be-all. It's, it's an investment. It's the same as a stock. It's, you know, sometimes it's a good time to be invested more aggressively. Sometimes it's, it's better not to be uh, as heavily invested. But if it is an investment and it forms a portion of your portfolio, you can't just ignore it. You can't just buy it and ignore it. You've got you've to calibrate it um, with your portfolio. If, if your goal is to hold it as an insurance position, then you need to calibrate it. And I'll just sort of give you a, like a really rough math example. You know, had you bought gold back in uh, 2008 at roughly $600 an ounce, and, you know, 2011 gold's trading at $1,900. When you looked at your gold position relative to your portfolio, and you were went in there with the context of going in with a 10% insurance position, I can guarantee you at 1900 gold, your insurance position was probably worth 20%. Um, you have to sell 10% of your gold, and vice versa. Had you got in at the top when you know when analysts were saying gold's going to $5,000 and you bought it at $1,900, and two years later it was trading at $1,100, well, your gold position was no longer 10% of your portfolio; it was probably 4% of your portfolio. You need to buy 6%. Now, if you do that with the context that it's an insurance position of 10% of your portfolio, what you'll tend to do is you'll tend to liquidate some of your gold as the market moves higher and you'll buy gold on dips. So you'll always have your protection, but you'll be able to get in and out of the market and take advantage of spikes and drops. So, I mean, if that's worth anything, that's that's uh, sort of uh, one piece of advice that I would uh, recommend people consider. Yeah, no, I think that's a great piece of advice. You're, you're absolutely spot on with that. And, and you know, talking about, you know, staying active and paying attention, uh, even looking beyond just, you know, what weighting you have in it, but even just a, just a quick look at things like uh, technicals or, or whatever, you know, it's, you know, maybe maybe selling at 1900, I don't know how many people, you know, because of, of just greed, I don't know how many people would have, maybe they would have waited. But, you know, at some point, maybe take those profits off the table. If you bought, you know, under 1000 all the way up to 1900, you know, Maybe you want to sell before it hits 1100 again, you know, based on just some basic, you know, moving averages or just some basic technicals. Um, doesn't take a lot of, of heavy research or, or, or anything like that. But um, anyways. You should have a plan, I think, you know, Matt. You just need to have a plan, and I think gold needs to fit into that plan. Gold is not something that should be separated from it and just ignored. I mean, you, you need to actively manage it the same way you manage your bonds or your stocks or, you know, your real estate. You, you, you don't just ignore it. Uh, and I think if, if you treat gold that way, I, I, I think the end result on, on how you invest in gold is going to be uh, uh, more fruitful than just holding and hoping uh, is, a, is a, I guess, one way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Peter, you've been an excellent guest. Um, you know, I look forward to speaking with you again because already here at the end, we've brought up a ton of topics I'd love to cover, whether we're talking about uh markets around the world uh china's economy france italy brexit um 
federal or you know emerging markets there's so much more to talk about so um love to have you on at some point again in the future and uh thank you for coming on and speaking with me today thank you matt it was my pleasure all right have a great day peter same to you